Have you ever felt it? That excitement, that hum that reaches into the very base of your stomach and makes your whole body feel alive? Well, your life can feel like that. Each week, I'll be sharing ways your personal wellness journey can lead you to a life that literally makes you hum. We'll be diving into all things nutrition, mindset, connection, spirituality and relationships to encourage you to be courageous and brave with your life and most importantly, unashamedly you. Together, let's find your hum. Welcome to episode 19 of Find Your Hum. I'm Kirsty, your host, and today I have the most delicious conversation for you with Sarah Jensen. And can I just say, this woman is honestly one of the most inspiring people. You are going to love this episode. Sarah is known as a heart healer, a goals guru, and a journaling queen. She is an award-winning, internationally certified business and lifestyle coach, course creator, and the host of the multi-award-nominated Rock Your Goals podcast and self-proclaimed stationary nerd. When Sarah's not singing into her hairbrush like a 90s pop star wannabe, and yes, she absolutely does that, just check out her Instagram, she's leading heart-led people around the globe to see how incredible they are so they can live their dreams and rock their goals. And of course, find their hum. She has created the Pay It Forward program. So you can actually help other people live their dreams and rock their goals. So when you purchase certain courses from her, you have the opportunity to also purchase one for someone else who may be struggling to treat themselves to one of her amazing courses. I mean, how freaking rad is that? You can find out more about this on her website, sarahjensen.com.au under the giving back tab. And there will actually also be a link in the show notes. Actually, links to connect with Sarah both on Instagram and Pinterest will also be in the show notes. Sarah is also an internationally published writer and her work's been featured in Huffington Post, Raw Magazine, The Inspired Coach, and she's a regular contributor to The Inspired Magazine. Sarah's areas of genius really are journaling, goal-getting, self-care, and life and business all done with intention and heart. And seriously, we cover all of this in today's conversation. It is so good. Now, Sarah is also super generously offering the listeners a $30 discount on her Journal to Life course. Now, normally this is $97, so you're going to pay just $67 for the experience. And can I just say, it is worth way more than $97, so jump on this. We talk about the Journey to Life course in this episode if you want to know more, but you can also find out over on her website. Now, this is only available for the next two weeks, so please get in by the 10th of October and get yourself journaling. If you love this episode, please share it with someone you know or snap a pic and share it on Instagram, tagging me, the nourishing way underscore, and Miss Sarah Jensen. You have no idea how much joy this brings us knowing that you have listened and enjoyed our conversation. I had the privilege of having a gold session with Sarah a few years ago now, and the way she lovingly crafts all of her work just makes my soul feel happy. I know the word authentic is used a lot, and sometimes stuff like that can lose its meaning, but trust me when I say that you will not get a more authentic person than Sarah. You will see during our chat that she is the most down-to-earth and real dork around. You will not be able to not love her. 
So what was Sarah like as a teenager? <laughs> I want to say the first thing uh, um, that comes to mind actually is a hot mess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a hot mess with a good heart and good intentions. Um, oh my goodness. I was just going through everything as I guess most of us and many of us are as teenagers, you know, trying to navigate change and hormones and friendships and school and the pressure to figure out which box you're going to put yourself into for the rest of your lives and figuring out how to please everybody and wanting everyone to like you and trying to figure out who you are, but being so, um, almost kind of bounced around like a pinball machine by everything that you're seeing and everything you're taking in and how you're seeing other people act to receive acceptance and, yeah, it was it was a crazy time. I don't think I was a particularly good friend or a particularly good daughter. Um, <laughs> I definitely wasn't a very good girlfriend. But I guess underneath it all, there was that sense of really wanting to find my thing and wanting to find where I fit and feeling that sense of belonging. And it's kind of been a lifelong thing that was really amplified as a teenager because everything feels more intense at that time, or at least Mm -hmm. that's how it felt for me. Um, Yeah. Some cool stuff happened, some frustrating stuff happened, but it was a period of in hindsight, real becoming, even though at the time it felt like it was just too much and too full on and that I had no idea who I was or what I was doing or how I was possibly going to cope with this thing called life. (laughs) (laughs) And as you've, because obviously like you're, I've just watched you and your journey for so long now. It's been such an inspiration. When did that kind of all come together for you? Like, was that after your teenage years or has that, like you said, been more of that lifelong process and have you sort of navigated that? Yeah, it's, it's still going. I don't think it ever ends. I think there's been periods of real deep reflection and introspection and deep healing reaching out to, I went to see an art therapist. I went to see healers and counselors and all the things. And some of it was amazing. And some of it was hooey and some of it was what I needed. Some of it I wasn't ready for, but I guess it's been, and I kind of, I know some people sort of roll their eyes at the word journey and I do too sometimes in a particular context, but I think it really is just this lifelong evolution and adventure and exploration and sometimes it's clear sailing and other times it feels like you're in the middle of a storm and you don't know where you're going or what's (laughs) going to happen but there's definitely been times where there's been sort of deeper shift or there's been shifts in clarity so I finished high school started a uni degree uh, really didn't feel like I was in the right place and really wanted to just get out in the world and experience stuff I've always sort of felt like this adventurer who is here to discover new things and learn lots and and I I guess sort of conquer things in some way but perhaps more conquering my own limitations to be able to live fully Mm -hmm. Um, got married at 21 divorced at 25 or 26 moved overseas to run away loved it overseas but hated it at the same time because I thought I could just get there and be this version of me that I wanted to be. I wanted to be happy and wear bright colors and have great hair and be really outgoing and have tons of friends. And I sort of got there and went, oh, I'm still me. (laughs) This still kind of sucks. (laughs) Oh my God. You know what? I literally just recorded my podcast yesterday for this week. That's like my 38th lap around the sun. And I reckon I almost said the exact same thing. Like (laughs) 
<laughs> like I felt like I was running away, but you actually are still there. No, whether, no matter where you go, you are still there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. percent. And yeah, got back, didn't want to go back to Australia because I didn't want to go back and I guess deal with things. I never really knew how to deal with things, to feel things, to process things. Half the time I didn't even know what I was feeling because I was just like, oh, this is uncomfortable. So I better make it stop. Like lots of numbing, yep. you know, shopping and drinking and food and all the things. And yeah, so I came back to Australia, went through another tumultuous time and then met a really great guy and didn't know what to do about it. And all the usual crap came up, you know, throwing tantrums and being difficult and passive aggressive and pushing buttons. And, and basically in my head, there was that story of, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of love. He's going to leave because my story was rejection and abandonment. So I might as well have that happen sooner rather than later before it hurts more or before I get too attached. And it was one of those moments where, and it wasn't an in, in an instant, but it was over this sort of time period where I went, I don't want this to be my story anymore. And I didn't know how to air quotes fix it myself. Mm-hmm. So that was when I went to an art therapist and it sort of just started things. It started the process of talking about things and admitting things and saying things out loud that I maybe never shared with anyone or I felt like I was the only one that was feeling, you know, I mean, how precious is that? <laughs> no, <laughs> but it is. Like, yeah, no, when you're in it, it does feel like, and you know what, to a certain extent, that is true because whilst other people may be feeling something slightly similar, no one has like your exact path that you've gone on and like all the experiences that have happened to you and your makeup. So in each way we do, whilst things are similar, it is our own experience, isn't it? Yeah, it's very true. And I think what was lovely about going through that process is I went from someone who couldn't see anything much good in myself, like every thought in my head was negative. It was all pulling myself apart and pulling myself down is I started to like myself and that felt cool, but really bizarre. (laughs) And I sort of was wondering whether it was going to stick around. (laughs) But from that, there was this sense of, oh my goodness, like, you know, drinking on the floor, writing tragic stuff in a diary, listening to Tori Amos and just wanting to press pause on the world to flipping things. And not to say that it was just snap your fingers and there you are, but through doing some of that work and, you know, both confronting, but also really gently uh, experiencing and honoring and seeing some of the things that had shaped me that I had allowed to be part of my story I, I had this call and desire and almost craving to have conversations about it because as much as there were probably people around me who would have very happily supported me, helped me, talked with me, I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I'd found my people and I still felt very much out of place. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to create, and it wasn't even conscious at that point, it's just like, we need to be talking about this. We need to be feeling like we can talk about this stuff because I don't want other people to feel as crummy about themselves as I had. Or if they do, I want them to know they're not alone and also that there's hope. And it's not some yellow brick road bullshit and, you know, click your heels together three times and you'll be home and home will be yourself and everything will be sunny. But it was just that desire to, I guess, really connect with other people, but also that if there was anything at all that I had experienced that could help someone see a little bit of their own brilliance, 
I just felt like I had to do it. Um, and so that started the online business journey. And that was then a whole nother personal discovery journey wrapped up in um, layers and layers and layers. <laughs> yeah, because like, especially when you are your brand, like it's just you out there and you really have to put yourself out to the world. So <laughs> I can imagine yeah. with all the other stuff that was going on, that would have, well, I know personally that it's Absolutely. been challenged for me. So I can imagine that was the same for you. And it does, doesn't it? It brings up all your stuff. It's yeah. like there's no hiding. It might all come up at once. It might come up incrementally. The same thing might keep coming back and keep coming back and smack you in the face and go, wake up. But it's like in some ways it can be very confronting, very inconvenient, very difficult. But in other ways it's remarkable because, and I've, I've said this before, but I don't believe that I would be the person today if I hadn't had that experience. It hasn't always been easy. There's been times that it's been really rough, wanted to quit many times over, been in and out of debt. Sometimes things have worked. Sometimes they haven't. Like it hasn't been um, floating down the river drinking cocktails. It's been really challenging at times, but it's taught me the value of sticking with things. It's taught me how to remove my self-worth from what I do and I used to think I was my business and it's like oh no I'm not my business is something that I do it's something that I create but it's like I co-create with it and if something doesn't work like I used to get so upset if a social media post didn't do well or people didn't buy my stuff and I took it really really personally and it's been a real gift through you know going through the stuff over the years that it's really shifted the energy that I bring to things. And I've become someone who has confidence, which I never used to have. And then what's happened to the last probably 18 months to two years is really leaning into journaling as a proactive practice. It used to be just kind of brain dump and get all the crap out kind of thing for me. But it's become a beautiful practice I use to tune in deeper and to because I used to really just wait for people to tell me what to do. You know, I was the one doing millions of courses and I'd sign up for stuff and half the time I wouldn't do it because in the back of my head, it's like, oh, hang on, what if this works? I can't have that. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> sabotage at all costs. Yep. <laughs> but also just that process of realising that and noticing that, that I was always waiting for someone to tell me what to do and being able to start using different practices to help me feel more confident in my own inner guidance to feel more trusting when I have an idea that I can sense for myself, whether it's a good idea or whether it's just a shiny thing, whether it's something that needs my love and attention or whether it's a distraction. And then recently I've started kinesiology training and that's been next level, crazy amazing in terms of just really deepening my self-knowing, my intuition. Um, and it's actually amazingly brought me into this incredible alignment. And look, again, it's a constant process. It's not like, oh, I've arrived. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to ever do any work again. Um, but it's been remarkable. It's been three months since I started training and my income's shifted in my business. My energy shifted in my business. My boundaries have shifted in my business. It's like, it's like I've somehow really tapped into this. It's like I've kind of put the plug into the socket and I've got self-worth and goodness on, on source, like on flow. <laughs> yep. That's been really cool. But then I don't know what six months from now or two years from now looks like in terms of 
you know, how my business comes together with this new energy work with what I'm going to be enjoying doing. But it's really interesting because where I used to have this desperation, like it's got to work and I've got to know how it looks. And until I know how it looks, I can't do anything because I don't want to do the wrong thing. Now it's this sort of deeper sense of trust of it's all okay. And if I can stay mostly in flow, notice when I'm not, give myself a love and kick up the ass sometimes when <laughs> I get too buried in the work of doing and not enough of the being and, and self-love. But it, it feels like I don't need to know what it looks like, but I know I'm on time. And that's a big, big shift for me because that never, ever felt like that until recently. Wow, that's huge. There was there's so much in that. And I want to just like <laughs> start pulling out. I don't even know where to start. Um, actually, I'll start with like way back at the beginning. Like you said, you started with art therapy. What made you pick art therapy? Because I don't think it's, you know, I'm sure back when you started doing it definitely wasn't a thing yeah. like it is sort of becoming now. Like I, I hear it spoken about so much more now, but I could imagine when you did art therapy, that would have been quite alternative. Yeah, it was, I'm trying to think when it was, whether it was sort of 2010-ish or maybe a little earlier actually. So yeah, it was, it was a while ago now and it was, it was definitely not mainstream. I'd never really had an awareness of it. I was seeing a beautiful lady named Michelle in Adelaide who does shiatsu massage and she had recommended this lady and she was, because I, you know, when I went and had a massage, I'd chat with Michelle. She had this really beautiful energy and I felt really safe to talk to her. So it was kind of like massage come therapy <laughs> and I'd just, you know, Sarah Waffle like I do and talk about what was happening and we'd had some similar experiences here and there. So I felt really comfortable to share with her. And she suggested that I go and see this lady named Carolyn. And I had some resistance, but it felt underneath it all. I was like, yep, that's cool. I can give that a try. I found it really challenging because I'm a huge recovering perfectionist. And my dad is an amazing artist. He draws incredible things. And I've always been the one that makes stick figures look bad. (laughs) (laughs) So the idea of going into this session and having this beautiful conversation where I felt supported and cried and dug into things and all the stuff. But then what we would do once we'd, I, we'd had sort of the talk therapy side of things, and then we'd do some sort of guided meditation where she'd move me through some of the experiences that we'd covered in the session. And then she'd say, okay, I want you to imagine something like what, what image is coming to mind? What are you seeing? And then when we'd done that, she'd say, okay, sit down and draw it. That was a huge block for me. And I remember one time in particular, I saw this amazing like phoenix rising from the ashes and it was like this beautiful rebirth and it felt incredible. And I remember consciously thinking, I can't draw that. So I'm just going to tell her I saw a yellow circle. (laughs) And I did. I said, I just saw yellow, just the color yellow. So I just shaded the paper with yellow because I was so judgmental of my own pictures that I couldn't allow myself to fully participate in that portion <laughs> of the of the session in hindsight it's hilarious but um that was where I was at <laughs> yeah I feel like that would be me because again like you know everyone goes back to those stories they had when they were younger and like art drawing and painting and stuff like that was never my thing give me craft yep. like yeah mm-hmm. I can do craft projects but um yeah and you I just, yeah, I would, I would have been exactly the same if I thought, how in the hell am I even going to start drawing a phoenix? Like, <laughs> yeah, and what if it doesn't look like it? And what if it's not perfect? And, you know, like when you think of, I don't know, times in your past or 
scenes from movies or something where some kid's so excited and they hold up their picture for Uncle Roger and Uncle Roger's like, what is it, a dinosaur? <laughs> no, that's my mummy. <laughs> yes. Oh my yes. goodness, am I going to be judged? It's like I'm kind of putting me on a page in some perspective here and it feels really vulnerable and I don't want to get it wrong and I don't want to be judged. So I'm just not going to give you access to that. <laughs> yeah, I just won't do it and then I can't be judged on it. I can't fail. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that's probably a big one for a lot of people where they, yeah, have that such a inner critic of that judgment in themselves that they don't even give them a chance to try anything. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And just think about what you're missing out on. Mm Hmm. And I remember when I was younger too, it was this sense of if I wasn't perfect at something the first time I tried it, there was no point doing it again. Like if I couldn't sit down and play I don't know, a Beethoven concerto, if he did concertos, I don't even know. But some elaborate Beethoven piece, the first time I sat at the piano, there was no point. It's like, I'm not doing scales. I'm just meant to be good at this. And I had this weird wiring in my head that was like, I have to be good at everything the first time. And if I'm not, it means there's something wrong with me or I'm a total failure. And it's taken a really long time to, to get comfortable with looking stupid yeah. and being really okay with it. How have you done that? Because I think that would be a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah. I think the more that I've done the inner work that's helped me feel worthy within myself, like from that really deep foundational place of, yes, I am worthy. And that's not to say that every single moment I feel that strongly and that it's rock solid. You know, sometimes the foundations get a bit biscuity and they get a bit flaky and crumbly. Yeah. (laughs) But the more that I've cultivated that sense of true and intrinsic and unshakable part of my DNA self-worth, the more that I feel more comfortable being completely myself, completely unfiltered, being a total dork, Sarah waffling without (laughs) apology, doing the running man on my Instagram and not caring, you know, um, it's still a process. There's still things that I feel really uncomfortable doing. There's still things that I have blocks around And it's going to be a lifetime unpacking that and then something else will come up and I'll unpack that. And, you know, it's that process. But I think the more that you can gently start to show yourself and offer yourself self-love and find ways to do that that feel really true for you, the more that being yourself in an unfiltered way, being vulnerable from an authentic place, but being really just you, it becomes a bit easier. And then I feel like for me, the more I feel like me, the less I worry what other people think of me because underneath it all, I'm okay. Like I'm cool. I'm a self-confessed dork. I can, you know, I sing off key. I do this, that, and the other, but I don't so much feel the need to impress everyone with my intelligence or have particular hobbies because it sounds impressive or whatever. Whereas I used to, I used to always be looking outside myself for those clues as to who I should be so that the world would be okay with me. I actually remember seeing you do that running man when you did that (laughs) and how much that actually triggered in me. Cause I was like, Oh my goodness. Like again, something that I would want to do, but Oh my goodness. Like how could you show up and do that? And I think it's, when you start to ask yourself those questions, when you start to notice why you get triggered in other people and then allowing yourself to explore that within yourself. And it was, and it definitely comes back to that 
I could never at that stage of my life have allowed people to see my inner dork or the things that I love because you are so worried about being judged about it. And it's so lovely to see other people doing it. So thank you for doing that running man. (laughs) I think it's actually still in my Instagram highlights. (laughs) If anyone wants to go and check that out. See Sarah do a dorky running man. And I think I, oh God, what was I doing it to? It was like bust a move or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was on a Friday night or something too, wasn't it? Didn't you yeah, having like was, a little party with yourself? I was. I was having a party with myself over something. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because it was after I stopped drinking. So I haven't, I haven't uh, had any alcohol for three years and three months now. Um, and I would never normally have done anything like that unless I'd had a few wines. Because yep. again, if I was drunk or if I was tipsy, I could just go, oh, that wasn't really me. That was just me being stupid because I was drunk. Yeah. Whereas it probably was me, but I needed that um, almost superhero cloak or cape to feel like I could be me without, um, without apology and without excuses and without filters. I think you might have to bring the running men back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give a little a bust pretty, out. <laughs> it's a pretty cool groove. <laughs> it is, definitely. <laughs> Um, you've said a few times that like with your journey with self-worth and all that kind of stuff, it was very much tied to external things, wasn't it? Like whether or not, um, you know, your business and how you showed up in your business and that being your self-worth and if people, you know, like I said, didn't like a post or something like that. And I suppose for people that don't have businesses, there's lots of other ways that our self-worth can be tied to the external and it's just it's never going to be a place where we're ever going to be happy if Mm. that is always outside of us is it oh absolutely and I look back at the way I used to do goals and it was all about the achievement and if I could achieve something then I was apparently successful but the problem was if I was working on things that weren't really connected to me emotionally if I was working on goals for the sake of I don't know I'm gonna learn this skill because it'll impress someone or something I always used to have on my goals list was I'm going to run a marathon. I'm not a very good runner, aforementioned uncoordinated dork. (laughs) When I practice it, I'm not too bad, but it really, it's not my thing, but I had it on my goal list because I thought if I could say to people, I've run a marathon, they'd be really, really impressed. And that was literally all it was about is about impressing people. Not because I love running, not because I love being outdoors, not because, you know, the buzz that you get, whatever, It was all about impressing other people and even things like jobs. Like if I think about how much I used to tie my worth to my day job and, you know, how much I would overgive and overperform and go out of my way to do so much more for the hope that people would like me and say, oh, great job, Sarah. We really like you. You're wonderful. You're amazing. You're so special. And the problem was I'd overgive to the point that I would create these expectations that they would just go, oh yeah, of course Sarah will do it. Of course she won't have a lunch break. Of course she'll come in on the weekend. Of course she'll work late. Of course she'll take on all these extra projects. And then I would get to the point where I wasn't getting what I needed from the people. I wasn't getting the validation that I wanted. And then I would get resentful and I'd get pissed off and I'd start pushing back and the result wouldn't be very good because that was the environment that I had created myself because I got to set the expectations, but I was so desperate for this approval and this, again, I wanted to fit somewhere. I wanted to feel like I belonged. I wanted to feel part of something. 
And I mean, for me, that was another way that that real external validation showed up. But I think more than anything, it's come from, you know, childhood stuff, from family stuff, from feeling rejected, from feeling like I didn't fit in, from, from really wanting, you know, perhaps dad to say, I love you and I'm proud of you and really needing that. But realizing as, as an adult that I have to love myself and I have to be proud of myself whether I feel like I received that from him or not, or whether I feel like I get what I wanted as a child from my family. And I think the other thing I've realized as an adult too, is that I'm always going to see my past through my own filters and through my own lens and through my own memory. So whether or not the situations that I've clung to that have become my stories that have shaped what I see myself as what I believe about myself, how I see the world and other people, whether I'm remembering them correctly or not. My memory of it is what has created my present. And so I really needed to also go, I forgive myself. I forgive everyone involved because I might not even be remembering these situations the way they authentically happened. I'm remembering them through my own hurt and through my own pain and through my own feelings. So that's been a really big one too, to just go, this is how I remember it. It might not be how it was, but I don't need to carry that with me anymore. Um, it's, it's still going. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of work, but yeah, I think that's been a big thing for me because for me, that need for external validation always came from, I felt like I didn't receive it from particular places as a child that, you know, there was that hurt little person in me that was like, why doesn't dad love me? Or why doesn't my family love me? Or why did this happen? And, and it was about giving that inner child some love and letting her feel safe and supported. And perhaps also for me, reassuring her that even if my perception was that somebody left or, you know, this happened, that I'm not leaving her, that she's safe and that I'm always going to be there for her. Um, and I try to come back to that when, because the stuff still comes up, yep. you know, it, last week, the week before the whole rejection abandonment thing was popping up again, because it needs some attention. It wants to be healed a little more. That's usually why it comes to the surface. And I was like, okay, yeah. Hello again. We can do this. Yeah. It's good. Cause you've had the tools now. So when yeah. it comes up again, it, yeah, I think people think that about healing. It's not like once you've, done that you've ticked that box you've moved on that it never comes up again it's that is not what it's about it is like you said you just learn to like yeah give it some care like live with live with it in I suppose want of a better word of terminology of how to do with it because you learn how to care for all those pieces of yourself yeah yeah and you do you learn how to be with it with the feelings and with yourself And that was what I never, ever, ever knew how to do. And it was just, you know, reject feelings at all costs. And I think it was interesting because it took me a really long time to realize too that I'm quite highly sensitive energetically, emotionally, everything feels intense for me. It feels like turn up the volume to a thousand, you know, Um, my pain thresholds are very low, like my physical pain thresholds. So I feel like I'm one of these beings that feels everything much more intensely and I think that was potentially one of the reasons I numbed as well because it always just felt like too much and I had no idea that I could just be with it and that I could literally sit and have a conversation with it and go, ah, hi, 
well, this is very unpleasant, but you're here. So let's have a chat. Pull up a chair. What do you got to say? What do you need me to know? What do you need me to do? Yeah. Let's, let's move through this together. And that is so true. You can absolutely have conversations with those parts of you. And like people, you know, might be like, oh my goodness, these two are going crazy. <laughs> but it is. on the woo-woo scale there. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, like, it's just funny that like, you know, I say I embrace my inner woo-woo now, but I mean, we've always had it for like centuries and centuries and centuries. Like this is so innate in us. We've just, I don't know, in the past sort of hundred or so years, almost tuned out of what it means to connect back in, know, like, and trust ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, isn't it wonderful that we're coming back home yes. to ourselves? Yeah. And I feel like that's been really amplified and um, what's the word that I want? Uh, quickened. Like the pace on that has really quickened since the start of this year. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> we definitely had to sit with ourselves this year. Yeah. And it's almost like the universe is saying, you, you've got no choice now, okay? You're going to sit here. You're going to experience this because all this stuff needs to be cleared for you to elevate and expand into the, the self that you need to be to move forward in this lifetime. So sorry, it might be bumpy and uncomfortable. I'm here for you, but it's time to deal with your crap, babe. Yep, absolutely. I um, know like obviously you work with people in terms of like their business and that kind of stuff, but you also do coaching, not just in business. You are just an amazing all around, just getting people to, I don't know, like really dive in to themselves no matter where they are. A lot of people will have all these strategies, but don't necessarily have that kind of mindset to go with it. How do you like marry that up? Or maybe they've got the mindset, but not the strategies. Like, is that where you found your journaling come in or have you used other things to help them kind of like get those two together? Cause it seems like you have started to really nail that. Thank you. That's really lovely. Um, it's a really interesting question. It's a great question. I think the way that I hold space for people is about trying to uncover what's going to best meet their needs. So I've got tools and strategies and things that I use. They are constantly changing. There will be things that I lean on for long periods of time, but I've never been the person who, I don't know, let's say does yoga every single day or journals every single morning. I'm quite flowy and floaty. I definitely have a tendency to sacrifice any form of self-care, self-connection for getting shit done. Mm -hmm. It's it's part of the wiring that I'm still trying to unwire or rewire. Um, so I love to suggest things, but I also, I love to sort of ask questions and hold space for people in a way that helps them come back to their own inner wisdom. So it's like, okay, well, if you felt really connected to yourself right now, what might you do or what, what might that look like? Or what might you be called to do? If you trusted yourself implicitly right now, what would you do? If you felt fully aligned, what does alignment mean for you? What would that look like? How would that change what you're doing? So it's really about finding both practices that they enjoy because there's no point in me telling someone to do something if they hate it. Mm -hmm. It's like me. If you tell me to go and, I don't know, um, drink coffee. I don't love coffee. Um, I'm not going to do it. But if you let me sort of 
if we talk about it and it's like, okay, so what are some of the things that might come to, to mind for you? If I said, take some time for yourself, infuse some self-care, what brings you joy? And so from there, we can kind of get a sense of what's going to be most supportive for them. And then I like to take, take the test drive it approach. So I say, this thing that we've talked about, like journaling or yoga or meditation or walking in nature or mindfulness or reading or sleeping or tea or who knows, whatever it is, go and play with it. Go and explore, experiment, get messy with it, get your hands dirty and see how it feels. See whether it's resonating. See whether you want to do it again. If you do, groovy. If you don't, let's play with something else. And I think what that does is number one, it takes the pressure off people for perfection or having to figure out the right way, the best way instantly, because that was always something that felt crippling to me. And if I can help people step into that energy of experimenting, I find that it gives them that freedom of, oh, it's not forever. And if I don't like it, I don't have to keep doing it. So I can just kind of have a play and see how I go. But it also allows them to start driving the process a little more and to start whether they're conscious of it or not, getting back in touch with that inner knowing, getting back in touch with themselves so that then with me asking good questions or giving them journaling prompts to play with and explore, it's not me saying, okay, go do this and go and use this mindset hack and go and set up this sales funnel and send this newsletter on this day with this link in it. It's about helping them figure out what feels good for them. So what feels like it's easy and in flow? What feels like it's coming naturally for you versus I'm trying to push the biggest boulder that I can possibly imagine up a hill and it's so bloody hard. It keeps rolling back over me and squashing me. It's like, how do we lean into our natural abilities and gifts and tendencies and stop trying to force ourselves to be something that we're not something that we don't want to be and almost kind of tearing apart that sense of cookie cutter box. You must fit in, you must comply, you must uh, conform. And how do we help you re-embody who you really are? Because who you really are is fucking amazing. (laughs) And who you really are is not like anyone else on this planet. And when you have that sense of being able to just be you, and I'm going to remove the word just from that, when you have that sense and ability to be you, fully you, there's nothing that can get in your way for very long. There's nothing that can hold you back. There's nothing that can throw you off your game. Yes, life will get rocky. Yes, things might get bouncy and bumpy. But when you are in that place and living and creating from that place, you can't fail. No. And I think like I'm definitely probably a few steps behind you on the path to really like, I think trusting and like loving myself and having that inner knowing. But I do know when I go to those places, it is literally like what you've just said then, like that literally made me feel all warm and fuzzy. It's like your, your whole body feels alive when you are in that place of really true trusting and inner knowing of yourself. Yeah. And again, just because I feel that some of the time doesn't mean I feel it all of the time. Doesn't mean that I don't still doubt myself, my ideas, my creations, my ego still gets in the way. My inner mean girl's still a massive bitch. Um, which well, they still, they still like to be heard. Like we, with everything else, we still need Absolutely. to give them some attention. 
<laughs> but I think I kind of just wanted to say that too, to again, sort of say, it's not like you were saying before too. And I love that the way that you shared it, it's not like you've arrived and you've ticked the box and there's never any more work. And it's like, Oh, I've reached this destination of happy me. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's an ongoing experiment of being yourself and some days feel light and lovely and other days feel like dragging your ass through mud. Um, there's still days where I feel down. There's still days where I feel grumpy. There's still days where I want the world to go away, but they become perhaps easier to be in because I'm not trying to figure out why I'm feeling it and find the solution. It's like, I can just be here now. It's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Crappy day. Fine. Whatever. I'll have my huff and puff and blow the house down and I'll go back to bed <laughs> and I'll see how I feel tomorrow. And if yep. I feel the same tomorrow, then okay, maybe I need to bring a little bit of loving awareness to this or phone a friend or book a session of healing with someone or do, do something. But I think that's also something to keep in mind is that we're all going to have those seasons and those emotions and those energies and those air quotes ups and air quotes downs where we are shifting and we are changing. And I think it's for me, one of the things has been about also just being okay with that. Like not every day has to be sunshine and roses. And perhaps, you know, with the movies that I grew up with as a kid and the mindset that I had um, unintentionally perhaps cultivated was when I'm happy, I'll always be happy and nothing will ever bother me and everything will be easy. And it'll be like, I don't know, that movie where they're all holding hands and singing and the birds are fluttering around. And, but it's, it's not always like that. And I think when you can start to be okay with how things are, regardless of how they feel, um, and that's also not um, taking into account the fact, you know, people going through traumas and all those sorts of things. I'm talking your general day-to-day, life isn't too bad kind of deal. Yeah. It, um, it shifts the way that you're able to be within yourself. I think I've never really thought about it before, but that stuff does become easier when you have that self-worth. Like as your self-worth grows, it's actually becomes a lot easier to have a day of just being a little bit more blur and, you know, hiding under the doona with Netflix and actually allowing yourself to do that because you understand yourself better and you just the inner critic whilst it still comes up like before there was no way I would have ever allowed myself a day just to feel like a little bit crappy because that's not what you do you just keep pushing through and it's that whole blocking out any kind of emotion including the happiness including the sadness you just keep going where as you learn to really tap into yourself and know yourself better you actually allow yourself to just know that this is a moment and this will pass and like you said if it does hang around a little bit too long again you have that awareness to be able to do something about it yeah absolutely it makes it it's made a really big difference for me definitely to be able to to not, as I said, be in that fixing mode all the time. Like, oh, this is, you know, labeling it wrong. Oh, it's wrong. Mm. It's wrong for me to feel this way. It's about getting more comfortable being who you are, where you are in the moment instead of always. And I think for me too, because I'd always hooked in that sense of worth from achievement. It's like, well, if I wasn't doing, if I wasn't 
fitting in the picture of the successful business owner or the the successful coach or whatever. Like if I wasn't ticking all the boxes, then there was something, again, something wrong with me. I was failing. And I think letting myself start to find my own way of doing things and trusting that and even being okay with trying different things that maybe weren't mainstream or that weren't the systems and structures and strategies that everybody else was telling you to do or selling you or whatever. Um, I think I always thought I had to mimic the successful people, but I also forgot that I might not actually have the same sort of personality or the same natural tendencies as those people. So then without realizing it at a, at a core and foundational level, I was trying to change who I was to fit someone else's method. And maybe I was, you know, copycatting someone who was um, like super outgoing or super extroverted or, you know, a super strategy person, whereas that's not me. So I think even just starting to have awareness about that too, that what are the natural ways that I do things? What does feel easiest for me? What do I enjoy the most? And if you're going to go outside of yourself for information to fill knowledge gaps or you want some support and advice, seek that out from places that actually resonate for you, that perhaps the person giving that advice feels like your kind of person instead of like I was doing was just buy every course under the sun half the time, just hoping it was going to be the thing that fixed my business because what I really needed to do was be myself, but I didn't know how to do that. But then, as I said, I was trying to set up, you know, webinars or sales funnels or do videos in a particular way. And it just felt either really gross to me or really uncomfortable to me or really unnatural to me. And that's not to say it's wrong because it absolutely works for some people, but it meant that I was trying to change my natural tendencies and personality to be somebody else with the hope that that would bring me the outcome I wanted. And the more that I can be myself, (laughs) the more successful my business is, which if you'd said that to me and people probably did say that (laughs) six to 12 months ago or six years ago, I would have just said, get stuffed, but it's true. And it's one of those things that I kind of want to roll my eyes and go, Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And as I said, like Kinesi training, I think I'm more me than I've ever allowed myself to be. And I'm not pushing things. I'm not hyper advertising things but I've got more bookings for things than I've had for a very long time. And it's, I think, purely because I'm feeling comfortable in myself. I'm comfortable sharing in my way and people are picking up on that energy and responding to it. So I think one of the biggest gifts you can give yourself is to gently, lovingly let yourself discover who you are um, without the pressure and the forcing and the have to figure it out three weeks ago. And and allow yourself that space to show up as you in spaces that feel comfortable for you as you gently, gently, gently expand your comfort zone. That's beautiful. And I am so excited for you to officially launch into kinesiology because I'm going to be right there having my treatment done. (laughs) I'm so excited. When I first read that in your email, I was like, yes, that is just, it's perfect for you. I love it. Thank you. It feels really right. And it's interesting because the training so far, as much as there's been times I've gotten in my own head, I've, and the, the lady leading the training is my own kinesiologist, Kaylee. She's beautiful. And I've been in her office in the lunch break crying, going, oh my God, I'm <laughs> going to suck at this. What if I can't do it? She's like, dude, 
you know you can't <laughs> fail and I'm not going to let you fail because I love you but you really can't fail and you know you've been doing this for lifetimes <laughs> yeah but underneath that struggle and me as usual perfectionist kicking in not wanting to let people down not wanting to let myself down hooking into all of the stuff that I think it has to be and how it's meant to look and all of the attachment to the outcomes and the possibilities under all of that it's felt like a remembering more than a learning and that feels really exciting to me yeah that is so cool (laughs) you've probably been doing it for all your past lives (laughs) Yeah. And funny too, though, because she's gently suggested it a couple of times over the years. And I went to one of her first ever training days and we did a bit of um, learning around doing muscle testing, using pendulums like crystal pendulums and using your body as, as a crystal pendulum or as a pendulum, sorry. And I liked it, but I was so worried about not doing it right. And I was so in distrust of the information that I was receiving because I was sure I was doing it wrong, that it really didn't stick. And so I was just like, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. And I think I was probably scared of letting her down too because I love her. And it just happened to be, I think it was the end of last year. She said she was running it this year. And it was like, I think I might be ready. Yeah. So we, we did a session on it and we muscle tested it. And she's like, yeah, you're ready. And, she said, and there's a reason you didn't do it before. They weren't your people, but these people are your people. And it, oh, they are so my people. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, you've spoken a few times about knowing that like inner knowing in yourself and like experimenting. And I, there was a question that come up that you said that you ask people in, like when you're having coaching sessions with them about, you know, what do they like to do for joy or like how do they play? Do you find that you would get people almost not knowing that because I reckon that was where I was quite a few years ago. And I honestly can't remember how I started to find out those things for myself. So maybe like if you could talk on that and maybe give people a few ideas in how I suppose you started doing it, but also how you get other people to, because yeah, I actually can't remember how I started doing that, but it's a huge piece because Mm -hmm. we just keep getting told again, that external thing of how life should be and the things you should be doing, like running marathons. But what if that doesn't bring you joy? Yeah, it's, it's a really, really great point. And I have to be honest, I don't remember how I started shifting out of that, which is really interesting since I help other people do it. <laughs> But I don't remember what my process was with that. And it can be the answer to your question. Your first question is yes, absolutely. A lot of people feel like if you ask them what you want or how do you want to feel or what does happiness mean to you or what does fulfillment mean to you, they're going to look at you blankly and they're going to want to run in the other direction because it feels very confronting. And I was definitely there with you. I was definitely there. It was like, I have no clue. And I had let myself be completely sidetracked and brainwashed by movies and magazines. And I was addicted to celebrity culture and I wanted famous friends. And I thought that that would mean that I'd made it. And, you know, I thought if I had designer clothes and all of these things and in a previous life, so to speak, when I was living in Sydney with my ex-husband, we had some, some good money and we had quite a, a nice lifestyle. And I had some of the things that I thought I wanted and I was miserable, not because he wasn't a lovely guy. We just, we weren't compatible and 
things were breaking down between us and I, I had everything I thought I wanted and I was miserable. And I think that sort of speaks to the point too, that I was making before about setting all these goals and then perhaps achieving them and, and feeling quite empty or feeling unfulfilled or having that sense of, oh, is this all there is? I thought there'd be more. I thought I'd do this and then I'd be happy. It's like the, the when I, then I thing. And that was my thing for so flipping long. When I weigh this, then I'll be happy. When I have this much money in the bank, then I'll be happy. When I've got this better job or this happens or I've got this many followers or I make this much in my business or blah, 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 blah. When I have that, then I'll be happy. And I think one of the biggest things that's come from all of the inner work that has been slow and steady and bits and pieces and lots of different practices and trial and error has been learning how to be happy with how things are now and being grateful for what I have and not again, not in that hokey fake. I'm so grateful. <laughs> like, you know, a, a genuine yeah. sense of I am quite fortunate. Um, I do know that I've been quite lucky in my life and I've had a lot of blessings, but that it's not about waiting to get somewhere to be happy that I can allow myself to be happy. And I think too, for a long time, I just didn't feel like I deserved happiness and I think as a little kid, I was quite a happy-go-lucky kid. And when mum and dad split up, I was seven. It's been a big, big part of my story. That my happiness, I felt like at the time, my happiness evaporated. And I felt like it was a shock. I wasn't expecting it. And so somehow for me, I believe, again, I could be completely wrong here, but this is my perception. I believe that it, it sort of wired in me. It's not safe to be happy because when you're happy, you'll be shocked and bad things will happen. So there was perhaps part of me for a lot of my life that was like, I'm just not going to let happiness happen. I'm going to reject it at all costs. Anytime things are going well, I'm going to find a way to sabotage it. And where I belong is not happy. Where I belong is kind of crappy. And I might not like it, but I'm familiar with it. I know what to expect and I can deal with it. And it also fulfills that massive victim mode that I used to have as well. But I think in terms of supporting people or making some suggestions around playing in the area of getting to know yourself, getting to know what has meaning for you, getting to know what feels fulfilling for you is a little bit of self-exploration. And that can be through whatever method or means feels lovely and safe and comfortable for you and that could be seeing a counselor psychologist psychiatrist having someone to talk to it could be through energy healing practices reiki craniosacral therapy kinesiology anything like that it could be through practices like journaling it could be through practices like meditation it could be that you take an intention with you on your morning walk that you're inviting in clarity it could be through asking the universe or guides or if you're religious, a, a God or a deity that you believe in and feel really connected to and safe with, that you ask for guidance, that you pray. It could be anything. And I think sometimes too that can sort of have people going, oh my goodness, but you need to just tell me the one place to start because it's overwhelming. And if I've got all the options, what if I do the wrong one? There is no wrong one. There is giving yourself that little bit of gentleness to lean into perhaps what feels like the easiest first step or 
what perhaps you get a physical sensation in your body around that feels like it's pulling you forwards gently. So, and this has been a really nice practice for me too, that I never used to even be aware of, but it's about starting to just be with your body and to start to notice the sensations that it gives you. So I believe personally that emotions and physical sensations in our body are often messengers and that they are trying to communicate with us so that we can be balanced and in harmony and feeling groovy so that we can move through the things and release the things we don't need and so that we can really anchor into the good stuff. So for me, what I've started to do, and this has been something that I keep coming back to, sometimes I forget to do it like everything when you've got a million possibilities of practices you know, you're always going to forget a few and then they'll come back and then you'll forget them and then they'll come back. Um, But what I do is I sort of sit with my body and if I've got a question like, okay, I would like to start to tune into my self-worth a little more. And I notice that when I say that out loud, uh, my stomach churns a little, my throat tightens, it's closing up. I sort of hunch forward and I want to hide a little and I want to put my head down and I want to, I want to retreat because it doesn't feel safe. But if it did, and if I felt safe and supported, what might I like to do? What might I choose? And you might have something that instantly pops into your head, or you might get an inkling, or you might hear a whisper of yoga or writing or talk to someone, or someone's name might pop into your head. You might remember something from when you were younger that you used to do and love that, you know, maybe it's creating art or taking photographs or singing or dancing or something. Trust those nudges, but also lean into those physical sensations. So if you were to write down a list of five things that you could potentially do to start your self-discovery journey or to pick it up where you left off or to lean into it a little deeper, if you look at the things on the list one by one, how does your body feel? What signals does it give you? Do you feel like everything relaxes when you read, say, the word yoga and you go, oh, yeah, that feels really nice and your face opens up and your energy shifts and it's like, oh yeah, I feel, I feel a physical sensation towards that. Or maybe I say singing and you look at singing on the list and it's like, (laughs) and everything tightens and you know, it feels like the wall goes up. So you can start to use that as your own inner compass to just gently start to bring awareness and pay attention to the possibilities because your body will give you signals. And I think two breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs is a huge one for me. Follow the breadcrumbs. I always used to think that there was this one destination and I had to find the one thing that I was the best at ever. And that was going to be what I did forever. And I was going to be amazing at it. And when I found it, I was going to feel fabulous and on purpose. And again, I think the more that I play in the world of wellness and self-love and sorting my own stuff out, the more that I've realized in hindsight, it's just been one little thing that leads to one little thing that leads to one little thing. Like if I hadn't found Michelle on Groupon, which is like, I don't even know if it exists anymore, but it used to be this discount voucher website in Australia. And my friend at my day job put me onto Groupon and you could get like cheap massages and discounts on haircuts and things. I literally found this amazing shiatsu massage therapist through Groupon. And I went to a few sessions with her and she mentioned Caroline, the art therapist. And I went to Caroline and from seeing Caroline, she mentioned 
tapping or EFT. And so I started doing that. And then I think I looked for tapping on uh, the internet, which wasn't as big a thing as it is now, but it was, it was still happening back then. And then because I'd been looking at tapping videos, I discovered this, um, it was like a meditation summit by someone in America. And one of the guest speakers I really resonated with. So I went and devoured all of her stuff on self-love and and then I discovered someone else who taught manifesting and law of attraction and I devoured all of that and then from there I discovered something else and from there I came across this community of people who were doing this online course and I did this course and I sort of participated but I didn't I had my own blogs but it helped me get my website up and but I met some amazing people and so from meeting some of these amazing people I came across the fact that this thing called kinesiology existed and I was like, okay, this is interesting. And I didn't really Google it. I was just aware of it. And there was two or three women in the group that I was in who were kinesiologists. And then we started going to the supermarket when we moved house and every week we would drive past this building and out the front was this sign that said kinesiology. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And after maybe six or nine months of trying to ignore it, I went, maybe I should book an appointment. I don't know what it is, but I'll just go and I'll see what it's like. And I went to the appointment and it was super weird, but I was hooked and I loved it. And Kaylee was amazing and I connected with her instantly. And that was four or five years ago. And now I'm studying kinesiology and it's amazing and lighting me up right now. But who knows what the breadcrumb will be from this, the person that I meet in, in the course or the person who books a healing with me in six months time that leads me to the next breadcrumb. And I know that was a bit long-winded, but I wanted to sort of share it in that context because I think sometimes that can take the pressure off of knowing what the right thing to do for your self-discovery journey or for yourself or for your self-worth or love is. But what if you just found the obvious or simple or easy um, or really beautiful next thing, that just one next little breadcrumb with that sense of allowing and hope and excitement that maybe it'll lead to something else and if it doesn't no big deal it's been an experience and it's contributed something to your life and maybe it'll be something that you call upon later or that something comes from it six years later or 10 years later or who knows but yeah yeah so rather um, than searching for the whole loaf of bread yes like you pick up each crumb and then before you know it like you have now you have this massive loaf in your hand and you wonder how you got it but then like you said as you've looked back that was such a good way to put it like as you one breadcrumb leads to the next leads to the next and you yeah. put it all together and then that's when it comes yeah 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 and well, it can feel that. hard and it can feel confronting and it can feel scary when you're in the middle of it and, and and the place that you're in is shitty and it's hard and it's dark and it's lonely and it's ugh. Like I remember that and it wasn't fun. And I think for a long time I was trying to focus on the big way out, like the, the, the total opposite of where I was instead of perhaps going, okay, well, instead of trying to transform my whole life in three minutes or less with this one set of CDs that I ordered from an infomercial <laughs> at 3am when I couldn't sleep because I was hungover, um, what, if I, what if I thought about one thing that might feel fun? Or what if I thought of one thing that might feel self-loving? And if I genuinely don't know what they are, what if I tried one thing that I'm curious about? That's the other thing, following the curiosities. 
Yeah, you might have heard someone else say it. And like, again, you don't want to be always be looking outside yourself. But if you hear about something, rather than putting the pressure on yourself for having to love it, try it. But then also give yourself the permission that if that didn't work, that's okay and let that one go. Yes, it's so important. Yeah. And I think too, my generation was very much not so approving of not finishing things or quitting things, so to speak. And it's like, well, actually in hindsight, I'm just someone who knows very quickly whether something resonates for me or not. And so why would I go to ballet classes when I suck at it and I hate it? <laughs> Done yeah. one class. I didn't like it. Next. Yeah. <laughs> Take me to the next fun, shiny thing. <laughs> this one is not lighting me up, but let's, yeah. let's move on. And it's, I think too, that, that approach becomes information gathering. And that starts to move you towards the things that do resonate for you, that do feel good for you. And it starts to make it clearer for you what you don't like or what you don't enjoy or what isn't for you. And that might not mean forever. I probably didn't like certain foods when I was young that I love now or um, Kundalini meditation is one that I love to talk about because I tried it five or six years ago and I hated it. I thought it was total rubbish. And then I came across it again maybe 18 months ago and I loved it. Absolutely amazing. And then it sort of stayed with me maybe six or 12 months that I did it consistently-ish. And it's, it's okay, but it's not one of my practices right now. So, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's about allowing these things to come and go from your life as you need them rather than it having to be a certain way of doing it. Yeah, like give, yeah, because when you know yourself, then you know what you need. Yeah, and that's a big one too, like even asking yourself questions like, what do I need right now? We don't do that. We're not taught to do that generally. No. When you can start asking that and receiving answers from yourself, that's pretty groovy. Yeah. Now, I can't believe it's been like almost an hour. We haven't even spoken about journaling. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually what I wanted to really get you on here for, (laughs) which is just so probably like us both. I can talk. <laughs> yeah. But I'm also really good at following tangents, not keeping things on track as well, especially if I get excited about something. So like I am going to announce you as the queen of journaling because that's just how I see you. <laughs> so take that title from me. Um, and I, it's one of those things that honestly, when I do journaling, I am seriously in awe of some of the things that come out on the page and it's often not till I read back over because I'm one of those people that will write and then I'll like flick through my journal and it's like you know see what happens sort of six months ago not religiously but just like pick stuff out and there's been times where I'm like oh my goodness why didn't I pay more attention to what I written back then because maybe I wouldn't be still dealing with it now <laughs> and like we are so there's so much knowledge inside of us um, which obviously you know because that's why you love journaling but sort of like what brought you to journaling like how has it helped you and how do we I don't want to say like make it a practice because it does go against sort of everything that we have just been saying but like for me I know it's actually really good for me but yet I still have this resistance around doing it so like how can we I suppose get through that as well a lot of us do and even I do, I've, I've got a year long journaling course and I'm 
I'm about six weeks behind on my own course right now. (laughs) And I'll freely admit that because it gives other people permission again to dip in and out as they feel called. But I think for me and for a lot of the women that I work with, when those blocks come up, it can, it can be framed in the space of, or the context of, I don't have time. I'm too busy. There's, you know, no time because the kids need me or all this stuff's happening or I put my journal down and I just haven't picked it back up again. And sometimes that's completely true. But I find for me, often when I don't journal, it's because maybe I'm scared of going really deep with something. Or the other time I find I take quite a chunky break is if I've been doing really intense journaling and it has helped me uncover some big nuggets of wisdom I've been doing what my friend Lauren Aletta likes to call the, the spiritual weightlifting, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the real digging and the heavy work. And we just need a bit of a breather and some break and some integration time. But I think a lot of the resistance that I come across with people that I work with, with people that I talk with, with the questions that I get asked on interviews and things like that is a lot of it's perfectionism. I have people say, I can't start journaling until I find the perfect journal. It's like, well, you could pick up a pen and any old scrap of paper and start writing. But for that person, for those people, that's a legitimate block that means I cannot start this practice until I've ticked this box. People worry about, oh, now I've got this beautiful journal, but what if I write the wrong thing? What if my handwriting's messy? Um, You know, can I even write in this thing? I've got one lady that I work with who has this gorgeous journal and she's like, I'm not going to write in it. I'm not going to mess it up. (laughs) So we have all these perceptions again of of perfection, how it's meant to look. People worry that what if I don't write the right things? Uh, What if I don't write enough? And so I love to say things like, put your pen on the paper. It doesn't matter what comes out. It could be a word. It could be a scribble. It could be an image. It could be a picture. It could be a sentence. It could be a paragraph, a page. It could be 10 pages. It does not matter. And the fact that giving yourself that permission that your journaling practice might look different most days. There might be days again, where it's in flow, you're in a groove, you've got heaps to say. There might be other days where it feels like pulling teeth, um, journaling prompts as well. So some days it, if you are working to particular prompts, like, you know, I've got prompts in different courses that I offer. There might be days where I look at it or someone else looks at it and they go, that's just not resonating for me. I don't have anything to say on that today. And so in that case, I love to offer up a a really general, beautiful prompt, like um, what I need to get out of my head and onto paper today is, or what I need to get off of my heart and onto paper today is. I find that prompts can be a really lovely way to start because it gives people a bit more of a safe container and direction. So they feel like they can't get it wrong because they need to just open the journal and write whatever comes up from these, this question that they're being asked. And I find too that when people do something like that, whether it's a gratitude journaling practice, a bullet journaling practice, a prompt practice, once they have that sense of comfort, then they tend to start to freestyle. That's when things get groovy. Mm-hmm. So if you need that you know, container, that safe space, that almost permission to be guided in the beginning with anything, like I went and got driving lessons before I drove a car. I went and did some yoga classes before I rolled out my mat in my lounge room. So journaling can be the same. It can be a case of, hey, I'm going to go get some guidance from someone who does journal, who can tell me a little bit about it, who can help pull apart some of my objections, blocks, perfection, 
um, you know, overthinking, overwhelm about it and can help me play in the practice in a space of safety so I can see if this feels good for me or not. I think journaling is amazing, but there's plenty of people out there who are just like, not interested, don't care, don't want to know, don't want to do it. And that's okay. Maybe there's other practices that are their journaling, that are their introspection, that are their way of going inwards and connecting with themselves. I'm not saying journaling is the only thing, the best thing. I came to it very young. Um, I was very much one of the Dear Diary kids. And at that stage, it was all just venting and, I don't know, drawing SJ loves whoever in my, <laughs> my diary and signing new surnames of my boyfriend or crush or whatever. and. It was, it was kind of just a processing place of trying to get some of the mental junk out of my head to um, support me through things. Um, I didn't always feel safe and comfortable talking to people about things. I probably have always been an oversharer, but then maybe there were times in high school where, you know, you'd tell someone something in confidence and then everybody knows and then you're totally embarrassed. And so it was kind of like my safe space. And I've picked the practice up and put it down many, many times over the years. I've leaned on it a lot when I've been going through difficult stuff. And in those periods, it's often been a really negative container and it just, you know, poor me, woe is me. It's all shit. It's not fair. Boo-hoo, wah-wah. That's what I needed it to be at the time. And it's really been the last couple of years, I guess, that I've started really journaling again regularly and that I've started to dabble and play and explore the world of proactive journaling. So by that, I mean using things like prompts to uncover blocks, to move through money mindset stuff, to figure out why no matter how many times I set great boundaries, I never stick to them and I compromise myself all the time or what success in my business actually means to me versus what I'm seeing everybody else embody and experience. Um, and it's been really cool. And I think it's, it's shaped my business in really lovely ways because it's one of the first things that's felt remarkably easy for me in my business. It felt really, really easy to write journal prompts. Um, they come out of nowhere. It's cool. It's like I've got, you know, the universe on tap to write journal prompts. I love it. And I think I just kind of gave myself permission to, to flow with it and try it. And it was like, I'd been trying to find my niche for so long. I'd tried so many different things. I never knew how to explain in a sentence, what I did and how I made a difference and who I helped and all that crap. And I was like, okay, well, I've been feeling uncertain for so long and in different elements and ways, I've been not enjoying quite a few things that I've been doing. There's parts of it that I do, but there's a lot of energy around it that's felt very stuck. So what if I try a new way? What if I just do this because it's easy and because I like it and people seem to like it? And I see what happens and it's been really, really cool. Really cool. <laughs> I think the idea of the journal prompts too is really nice. If you are sort of experimenting with that, learning to ask yourself some of those questions that you may never have asked yourself before. And also using the journal, you know, when you were saying like, if you were talking about, you know, maybe trying singing as one of the things you find joy, but then your throat gets constricted. But, you know, as a kid, you loved singing, but for some reason, as an adult, there's that physical block there that you can kind of feel in your throat. You can literally ask your throat those questions and journal it out on the paper. Like I just, 
find that connection is just amazing for things like that, isn't it? Yeah, it is remarkable. And sometimes it can take a little while to get there and that's okay. You might not have profound moments the first time you journal. You might need to clear some of the junk first. You might have, you know, a few layers of dirt to to shovel off before you get to some of the juicy stuff and the golden nuggets, but that's okay. And I definitely find the more regularly I journal, the more goodness comes through, the more clarity I get, the more I actually start to channel. I feel like I'm kind of tapped in and, and channeling information, which is super groovy. Um, and I think sometimes when I put the practice down, it's perhaps when I've been getting lots of information coming through and maybe the self-doubt kicks in and I go, is this real? Am I making it up? Am I worthy of receiving this? What if I don't do what I'm meant to do with it? And, and so then I might put my practice down and, and then I'll, you know, backslide a little bit. I'm not as connected to myself. I'm not as tapped into the universe. It feels a little safer. So I think starting in a way that feels comfortable and doable and safe and that fits into real life as well is really important like there's no perfect place to journal i journal on the floor i journal in bed i journal in the back seat of my car in my lunch break sometimes i journal in the park i've journaled at my desk before work <laughs> um you know and there's no i guess the right time to journal is the right time for you it might be different every day or you might be a really strict rit- ritual person and that might work beautifully for you and I think, again, like with anything, with any element of the journaling, giving yourself permission to try different approaches, different times of day, different places to journal, different styles of journaling, so that you can hit on the one that works best for you. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing all that. That has been so juicy. Okay. Now, you have um, a lovely offer for our um, listeners, well, my listeners, our listeners, <laughs> for my listeners, um, you're going to offer a $30 discount on the Journal to Life course. Can you give them a bit of an idea about what that is so they can get all excited yeah, about it? Totally. So Journal to Life is a really beautiful one that I've created. It's self-paced, so you can dive on in and explore. And what I've done is I've created journaling prompts on 10 different topics. So you can kind of pick and mix. You can dive in where you feel most called. You can do them in order. It's totally up to you. It's like this beautiful playground that you can explore in whatever way feels most fun to you. So there's topics like starting and ending your day. So, you know, moving into the day with intention, closing out the day with loving reflection. There's prompts to start and end the week. There's prompts on boundaries, on money, on goals, on self-love and worth on all sorts of groovy stuff. And I've also included some prompts as a bonus for business owners. So there's a section for entrepreneurs to help you tap into the goodness of your business. And then there's also another little beautiful bonus in there that I love. It's called the design your day activity. And it's one of my little faves that I have to admit at the moment, I don't do as regularly as I would like, but it's a really, really lovely practice. Great way to start with journaling where you can literally write your day as if it's already happened. And it could be one thing, it could be a hundred things, it doesn't matter. But you can start to kind of co-create with the universe to create your day. You're calling in the energy, the intention, the goodness that you want to experience. And it can be a really lovely thing to do. So yeah, there's um, some videos in there introducing the topics and there's, um, there's a PDF guide with all of the prompts. So you don't have to keep logging on to get them. You can download them, print them, tuck them in your journal or notebook so that you've always got them if you want to prompt on the fly. 
And there's also some tips on getting started with journaling as well. And just, you know, shifting through some of the resistance and, and starting to play in the practice to make it your own. Awesome. I'm going to put the code for everyone to use and the link in not only the web page, but also in the bottom of this, um, wherever you find this episode, you will have the link and all that there. So please go and grab onto it. It's only for two weeks. So don't hesitate. <laughs> no self-doubt. <laughs> Just go and do it. You'll definitely thank yourself for it. <laughs> and if you have any questions, anything at all you are so welcome to just email me reach out um, whether you are thinking about getting the course and you're not sure if it's right for you or if you get the course and you have any questions or anything comes up through your journaling adventure shall we say um, I'm always here I'm, I'm, I'm never the kind of person that just goes oh you've bought it you're on your own it's like nah nah it, it's total lounge room community vibe around here it's like kick off your shoes make yourself a cuppa come and chill let's have a chat let's cozy up and get to know each other yeah <laughs> that is definitely how she is i can totally vouch for that so where <laughs> where can people find you if they need to obviously over on your website so sarahjensen.com.au but where else do you hang out um i pop in and out of instagram so i'm miss sarah jensen on instagram i've been playing a little bit on pinterest and having a little play around there so that's miss sarah jensen as well but i think really the website's probably the grooviest place to start because you can dive in and explore the goodness there's um you know lots of free journaling prompts if you just want to dip your toe in there's the journal to life course there's some other bits and pieces around journaling on there too so yeah come over and hang out and and come and hang in the lounge room. <laughs> and there's also, you do coaching and stuff as well, don't you? So yeah, I do. got that on there. And yeah. soon your kinesiology. <laughs> I'm very excited to start sharing that. I'm on, I'm on the countdown. I've just got to finish one more module of my course and I can, I can start sharing it publicly. I've been doing lots of, um, lots of stuff behind the scenes, but yeah, just sort of keeping it on the download so far, but yeah, not for long. <laughs> Now, I like to end with two final questions. Mm. So how do you sustain, strengthen and nurture your life? Oh, I think it's an ongoing practice of being present, of, of just continuing to notice and to notice where I'm off kilter, to notice where my energy is going, to notice how I'm feeling and to give myself that permission to maybe create space in my calendar, to make a little room for myself, to book in a kinesi session with my kinesiologist. I think for me, probably the word awareness comes to mind and it's just that that gentle, 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 constant coming back to self, coming back to self, coming back to self. Oh, that's beautiful. And what are you currently doing in your life to find your hum? Ooh, definitely kinesi training. <laughs> I thought you might have said that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do after kinesi training? I suppose you'll be able to find your hum doing the actual kinesiology yeah, on everyone. I'm I'm loving it. Uh, the, the weekend trainings that we have are very full, but amazing. And then I'm doing lots and lots of practice sessions in between. Um, I've been playing, doing a few bits and pieces with friends 
and the the wonderful women in my training course and you know making my my partner be my my crush test dummy <laughs> and stuff too so yeah. and it's really interesting because it's and I have to admit like the energy that I have around coaching has shifted I used to feel I loved coaching but I felt very drained by it and so I was always someone when I looked at a business woman or man who would see 20 or 30 clients in a week and that was their fully booked that just even the thought of that felt exhausting for me and I was like just don't even think about it so I used to get quite drained because of the way that I held my energy in coaching sessions so kinesi training has shifted that but I'm finding when I do kinesiology balances on other people and for other people I'm actually not feeling drained at all. I feel quite light. It's almost like I get a little bit of universal goodness at the same time. So it's been a really beautiful shift. Might be a little bit like Reiki like that because when you give Reiki, you receive it too. So maybe there's a little bit of that in kinesiology. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, it's going to be really cool and interesting to see how it all comes together. I think it's going to get really, 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 really quick. Um, (laughs) Way past any of my current understanding or awareness of all of the the cool groovy stuff going on in the galaxy but for now yeah I love it and I'm really interested to see how it shapes my own personal life and, and mindset and also how I can hold that space for others and I think the beautiful thing about it is it's not about me fixing people and I've always been such a fixer and that was something I had to unpack with coaching it was like I have to have all the answers I have to fix them I have to heal them in a session and I feel like kinesiology, I'm, I'm holding space and I'm also kind of like this, this translator in this conduit. So I'm translating and understanding the signals and information that their body is sharing with me so that I can help their body facilitate its own healing. So it's starting to make a whole lot more sense. Um, it came through for me last year that I'm something called a heart healer and I had no idea what that was or what it meant, but the energy and the information that kept coming through over and over and over is Sarah, you're a heart healer. You're here to heal your heart and help other people heal theirs. And I just went, I have no clue. And I feel like Kinesi is going to be a really, really big part of that because I'm, while I'm holding space, while I'm creating a safe container, while I'm physically moving people's bodies and doing, you know, acupressure and things to bring meridians into balance, it's their body that's doing the work. It's their body that's doing the healing. So yeah, it's, it's starting to make a bit more sense and it's very, very, very exciting. Yeah, it's almost like facilitating their fixing of yeah. themselves rather than you doing that fixing for them. Absolutely, which is incredibly empowering, I think. And I feel like the more that, and I mean, we're all healers. We're all healers in some capacity and we have been for many lifetimes. But I feel like the way the energy is shifting cosmically, globally on the planet at the moment that we're all stepping into this healing energy even more. And it's not about gurus. It's not about the, the person who shouts the loudest or has the biggest following. It's about each of us finding ways to love and nurture and care for ourselves, to live in our joy, to be in that state of being fully yourself. And that that in itself starts to create ripples because as we embody that energy, other people see that they're attracted to that. And it, it, it almost feels like it's making it possible for others. It's like if I see someone else being fully themselves, being a total dork, singing out loud off key, I'm like, ah, oh, maybe I can do that too. And I feel like we're all these keys for each other at the moment, unlocking all of this magic and possibility and potential that perhaps we haven't always been able to see in ourselves, but that's always been there. 
I am just like nodding away and smiling so much at the moment. Like that is just perfect. And I am not going to ask any more questions because that is like the most perfect way to enter the podcast with those words. Thank you so, so much for your time and sharing all of your wonderfulness with the listeners. It has just been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Such an absolute joy. Thank you so much for inviting me and for letting me waffle on and talk like crazy. (laughs) It's been really, really beautiful. Cheers for tuning in to another episode of Find Your Hum. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, and tell your mates about it.